Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Today, we are definitely diving deep into the leadership, into the business, uh, into the life and, and the, the, the sort of personal side of things with Mr. Sheer Near, which is a really cool name. Uh, but Sheer brings more than 20 years of experience working with executives, teams, and organizations to increase performance and create organizational, personal, and financial growth. Uh, throughout his career, he has focused on working with senior executives to expose and enhance their innate abilities to lead more effectively. Uh, he also combines his wide business experience in industries such as energy, engineering, chemical, petroleum, manufacturing, retail, financial, consulting, and and service with the Handle Method, which is the organization that uh, he is the CEO of. Uh, to enable executives and organizations to fulfill their goals and objectives. He's currently advising several executive teams and senior leaders on topics such as building honest cultures, enhancing organizational success, uh, organizational alignment, leadership development, mergers and acquisitions, (laughs) not accusations, strategy, and talent management development. So, Clearly, uh, Sheer has a really incredible background, um, and we're actually going to talk and and focus really more on reprogramming your inner critic on this specific topic. And uh, Sheer has a, a really incredible outlook and methodology that he uses when he works with people, and he he takes that leadership approach. and And rather than us looking at a you know a specific business case study or anything like that, we're going to dive deep into how you, as a leader at work or an entrepreneur or a father, husband, mother, daughter, brother, whatever whatever your title is, um, whatever your title is and, and perceive your title to be, we're going to look at how you can reprogram your inner critic. And so we're going to talk about the human operating system. Uh, we're going to talk about giving you some specific tools on, on how to identify and address the inner critic and how to start to shift some of that behavior. And uh, Sheer has some really incredible stories and some great tools and insight on how to actually go about doing this. So before I bring Sheer on, just uh, some quick housekeeping. Don't forget to head on over to the Facebook uh, community. You can join the Man Talks community. There's almost 4,000 guys on there from around the world. Amazing, amazing, amazing community. Uh, and uh, you can stay up to date with all of the upcoming events in different cities. Uh, we've actually got an event on October 29th in Toronto, and it's going to be all about uh, the modern masculinity. So that's going to be a great, great, great conversation. Uh, we're going to have uh, Saks, the underwear company, actually representing uh, at that event like we did in Vancouver recently. So if you buy a ticket and join the event, you will actually get a free pair of underwear just for joining. And they are comfortable. I wear them all the time. Um, so in in the meantime, definitely head on over to mantalks.com forward slash the dash alliance. Uh, check out the alliance. We've got some great things coming. And if you have been considering joining a top-notch group of men who are all working towards better self-awareness, uh, high performance, getting better results in their relationship, in their business, uh, and just in their life in general, it is definitely a group that you will want to check out and potentially join. So uh, apply now because we are going to start up a new group in November. So that's it. Without any further delay, 
I hope you enjoy this interview. Let me know what you think uh, because it's a really, really powerful one. Uh, please welcome Mr. Sheer Near. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you on here today. So uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of everything. I think we're going to talk about uh, you know some some leadership concepts. Uh, we're going to talk about integrity, which which uh, it's, you know you have a, a the personal integrity and accountability model, which we're definitely going to get into here later on. Um, but first and foremost, I have to ask you the question, which our audience loves, which is tell us a story about a defining moment that made you who you are today. Okay. You know, there's uh, kind of there's a lot of different defining moments that made me who I am today. Uh, you know, leaving my country, Israel, and coming to the United States, and and a lot of those. But the one I would love to uh, share about today would be uh, uh, a moment that I had about six, seven years ago, and I was uh, one of the top executives here at the Handel Group, uh, which I'm the CEO of, and uh, at that time I uh, I. It was kind of like in middle of my career, and I always in my career have been a very, very successful business development and sales guy. In most organizations that I uh, I worked at, I usually was one of the top, if not the top, salesperson. But for some reason, throughout my career, I wasn't completely uh, impressed with my own or or satisfied with my own performance, although I was always at the top of the sales uh, organization. And uh, I had an, an, an event, I had an, a uh, something that happened to me with a client where a client got upset with me and uh, hurt by something that I have done. And I couldn't understand what why they got hurt because, you know, I was completely honest and I thought I was caring and I was making fun and jokes, but the end result was that the client actually called my partner uh, and complained about my own, my behavior. And my partner called me and said, was devastated about the client complaint. And I was, had an opportunity to, at that point, to either defend myself and say, you know, I'm right. She was, the client was wrong and, or really see something about myself that would make a huge impact for me. And the the thing I got to see is that I was a pretty aggressive, careless Israeli executive. Uh, I'm come from Israel originally, so uh, it comes with a certain uh, behavior and patterns. And not and Israelis are very tough and very direct but they don't care a little bit of what they cause when they are being direct. And I was exactly that. And although I was, I was more caring to a certain degree, I wasn't as caring as I wanted to be. And uh, at that moment, really, once I saw that I offended that client and how hurt she got, uh, I made a, a decision. And it was really a moment of uh, seeing myself and seeing my behaviors and seeing my patterns and my traits and saying, F that, right? I could maybe different. And I decided that from that moment on, I will lead with love instead of lead with high intentions. I would lead with love and I will actually do the work to have people I deal with feel my love, feel my care. 
And I created certain promises and consequences for myself, which is part of the Handel method, and really uh, had my partners hold me accountable for them. And in that year, I totally, totally changed my leadership style. I changed it from being intentional and hard-nosed and straight and direct to being honest but caring and loving. I made sure that everything that I uh, led forward had an, a, an, an increase in loving and caring and taking care of the people that I was dealing with. And it caused a dramatic, I say dramatic increase in my ability to close deals. That year, I doubled my sales, doubled my sales. And all I did was change how I, I dealt with people and changed how, changed how I was with people. And from that moment on, I knew that actually that when you lead with love, when you uh, connect with people uh, authentically and lovingly, the results you're going to produce are unimaginable. And, you know, when I deal with clients, when I coach clients, Clients, I always, always tell them the story and I always, always have them look at the way they lead and the way they interact with people and see if they can cause a transformation and the way they do that. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I, uh, oftentimes, you know, what has got you to where you are might not get you to where you want to go in, in terms of growth, development. And, and this isn't, I don't mean you, I mean the general you as in us. Uh, oftentimes, yes. oftentimes what gives us good results won't lead us to great results. So I, I like what you're talking about because one of the things that you're saying really is about the integration of the vehicle of communication that's almost more along the lines of of speaking an emotional language. You know, when you say that you are leading with love, I'm assuming that's around, you know, being able to be compassionate and empathetic. And so I'm yeah. I'm curious as to what were some of the you know parts that you integrated and how did you shift your communication or your interactions with people to include that love because I think that's a, a very important conversation that needs to be had especially right now. So um, there's there's several things that I integrate into uh, you know changing and leading with love versus changing and leading with intention and a lot of the time you know people will will argue that's the same thing, but I don't think it's the same thing, right? When, you, when you're leading with intention, which is a very important part, and the intention is I'm here to produce business, I'm here to change the way you work, I'm here to increase your performance, uh, the intention takes precedent and everything else takes second seat. Uh, when you lead with love, love takes precedent and everything else takes a, a, sec, uh, a second seat. Now, it's very hard for people because, you know, I'm here to really create profitability and revenues and livelihood to my people and my company, right? And to believe that love will actually be much stronger than intentions is very hard, very hard, specifically to people that don't grow up with that love is what creates everything, right? When you, when you transform something like that, you make love the intention, which another way to say it is, if my intention was to get you to set to buy, 
my product, my service, or whatever I sell or whatever I promote, I will have certain conversation. If my conversation is going to be all about you and I connecting well and you feeling my love and support, and then whatever happens, happens, it's a totally different conversation. Because in, in the first conversation, I will make sure that you understand what I do completely. I will make sure that you understand the value of my offer completely. I will make sure that you understand how one goes with another completely. In the second conversation, it won't matter. The only thing I want to make sure is that you understand that I'm here for you no matter what. And that the rest of it will come naturally. Mm. And that is a much better sales or much better offer than the first one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I definitely, I mean, I agree 100% because I've seen that in action. I think the challenge that that oftentimes people have is that it's it's also simultaneously a little bit more ambiguous. So mm-hmm. <laughs> so how do you how do you not train people but how maybe how did you personally start to integrate um this methodology within yourself and be able to com- communicate that to your clients to your prospects to your family and friends and colleagues? in such a way that it helped them understand the value in it because because it is a, a more ambiguous methodology. Yeah. So the first thing I did, Connor, was to stop focusing on my offers as the main goal in the conversation. Because if, if, I, if I focus on my intention, I focus on what can I do or what do I, what do I provide and, why do you, and what, how, how do I get you to understand what I provide? Right. So the first thing I moved it from, no, what does, what do you, what are, where are you? What are you interested? What do you want to talk about? What do you care about? And what would make you have a great conversation with me? What, at the end of this conversation, what would you say? What would make you say that was a good conversation? Right. So the first is I'm going to focus on you versus focus on my, on my offerings. The second thing is I really let, let the client or the other part really lead the conversation. And I was, I was catering the conversation that they led, which means I focused more on them than on the offers that I made, right? The third I had, I had to think I had to do is I had to trust, and this is the, the hardest part, I had to trust that the right things are going to show up at the right time and that the right context would lead me to have the right content in the conversation, mm. which means that if you care about the nuts and bolts, that uh, then then I will get to talk about the nuts and nuts and bolts. If you care cared about the context, I only have to talk about the context. I don't have to talk about the nuts and bolts. If you only cared about having somebody who listened to you. I will provide, I will be able to provide that listening that got you to say, I want to work with that guy. So although most of my conversation previous to that decision and that realization was, were about, here's what I can provide and here's why and here's what you need to do that. The, the, after that realization, what I came, I was, I came in and I just, I was, I didn't have any agenda. 
My only agenda was to connect to, to you and listen to you and provide what's necessary. And every conversation that I had since then has been a different conversation because every person needs something different and every person likes something different and every person get connected to something different. If I continue to provide that, my rate of closure, the rate of closure that I had went high, went up because I connected to more people and I provided what they needed in the moment. So one conversation uh, had to, was about how do I do? But the other conversation was only about uh, taking care of the client and dealing with what they had to deal with and showing the client that I can help them and help them walk through whatever uh, situation they were and come up at the, at the end winning, right? So it really is a changing of focus from me, from me to them and trusting that that focus will actually prevail and trusting that if it doesn't, it, did, it wasn't meant to be. So if somebody said no, it's the right no. If somebody said yes, it's the right yes, and I need to trust that. Mm, yeah, I, I like that. I mean, it, it sort of it allows for more of a, a state of flow, it sounds like, to unfold. And it also puts the emphasis on the, the currency of human connection over the emphasis of a product or a service or a specific outcome or a specific ROI within a conversation. And I think that, that that really shifts the dynamic of what's possible within the conversation. Because then rather rather than going into the conversation of I need to have this, I need to present this ROI or I need to have this specific outcome happen, the 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 intention like you're talking about within the conversation shifts to how do I create connection? How do I actually leverage the currency of human connection? What does it actually look like? So one of the things that comes up for me immediately, and one of the things that I know that you talk about quite a bit is in and around uh, the human operating system. And I would imagine yeah. that there are some deep-rooted programs, depending on you know probably the culture that people have grown up in or the theology that they've been taught or um, you know just their sort of personality, their family structures. There's, there's probably a deep-rooted human operating system that plays into this, uh, you know, this, this shift. So how do people start to – well, first off, how do you define the human operating system before I sort of go down the rabbit hole with this? And, and what do people need to know about it? Okay, so great question. So well, the way I define it is, Connor, is that, that, that as a human being, as human beings, we have an operating system. We have a very, very powerful computer in our head, which is power, more powerful than any other computer in the world. And that computer is an operating system. And that operating system is designed and is producing the current results we have as human beings. It's like your, your computer or your phone, they have an operating system and they produce exactly the results that they're designed to produce. That operating system cannot produce less or more or any different results. It's what it's designed for. So, and if so, if you want to upgrade results, another way to say it, if you want to be more loving, if you want to produce more sales, if you want to connect to more people, if you want to run faster, if you want to do anything 
different or better or stronger or faster than you're doing now, you need to upgrade the operating system. You cannot do it with the current operating system. So I'll give you an example. If I want to run faster than I run now, I used to be an Ironman triathlete. I did two full Ironman, about nine and a half Ironman, including half Ironman World Championship and many, many other uh, triathlons. And one day I decided that I'm going to make the half Ironman World Championship. So at the current at the current level of my triathlon, I was not going to make the the world championship. Therefore, I needed to upgrade my shape. I needed to run faster. I needed to swim faster. I needed to bike faster. I needed to be in way more shape. And I needed to carry it through, you know, uh, a 56-mile 50, bike, 1.2-mile swim, and half a marathon, okay, all together. And that year, I tied myself to uh, 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 two guys, a woman and a man my, who were my age, who lived in the town I was living in, and I said, whatever you do, I do. Uh, she, was, uh, she was an Ironman world championship, world champion. He was a very, very uh, good athlete, way faster than me. And I did all my training with them. And by the time the qualification race came, I qualified immediately to participate in world championship. Another way to say it, I have upgraded my physical operating system to allow me to make it into world championship. This is true about our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual uh, constructs. Okay? So our operating system, the human being operating system is basically the intersection between our conscious and our subconscious construct on physical, emotional, and spiritual level. Physical meaning the physical aspect of it, you know, my height, my weight, uh, my shape, my abilities, my capabilities, and my my how I'm built emotional is how I feel or another way to say it is how I relate to things how I feel about things is my relationship to them so how I feel about myself is my relationship to myself how I feel about you is my relationship to you so our emotional construct or emotional integrity as we say in the in the Handel group is has to do with our relationship to everything in the world and our spiritual integrity. Our spiritual integrity has to do with how we think, our thoughts, and our thoughts come from two, two main sources, our beliefs and our theories. And those beliefs and theories are uh, cr we created throughout our lives through experiences. So in your life as a as since you're a baby, you have experiences. Those experiences uh, happen to you, and based on those experiences, you make decisions and you create beliefs and theories Then, then you are now designed to prove. Those beliefs and theories impact how you think and your spiritual integrity, how you think about everything. So your operating system basically is for a human being is the intersection between your spiritual, emotional, and physical 
conscious construct and subconscious construct. 95 of them, 95% of your of your operating system is subconscious. You don't even know you're doing. You don't even know you're making decisions. You don't, it's embodied in your body and it's your, it's underneath the surface. So you're not conscious of them. And 5% of it, you're conscious. So if you take the human operating system, it's, it exists on a physical, emotional, and spiritual levels, right? And inter- intersection between those, between your conscious and your subconscious constructs. Now, if you want to, if you want to upgrade the operating system, you can't upgrade through your subconscious. You need to make everything conscious. So the minute I got aware of the fact that I am, that my intensity and my honesty and my uh, toughness actually hurts people, that behavior became conscious. And the beginning it becomes conscious, I can now upgrade it because I can make a decision or I can create a, a structure for myself to consciously not behave that way. And by doing that, I upgrade my operating system both consciously and subconsciously because the subconscious start behaving according to the decision I just made not according to the all the way it was behaving before the way to upgrade your operating system is always through the through conscious decisions mm, so when we're faced with moments of hardship and we can start to see the outdated old past patterning or you know the 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 subconscious mind sort of at play and and we become aware of it in a in a conscious space then it's in that yeah. moment where you know, a perfect example is procrastination, right? I, I hear a lot of people complain about procrastination and they, they usually have routines and rituals of procrastination. So when you, right. when you look at, let's say your routine of procrastination is to, uh, oh, I don't know, open up YouTube and, and watch a video or go on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is. When you catch yourself doing that, it would be to consciously interrupt the pattern and to choose to do something different. Yes. So you can do it in, you can, and you can do it in different ways. Okay. So in one way to do it is to make a promise to not watch YouTube and you make that promise to somebody else, not to yourself because you're not canonable. Mm. So you have to have somebody hold you accountable. So for instance, my brother-in-law, uh, who is uh, the husband of my partner and, and, and sister-in-law, have actually in the last couple week, I identified that he actually engage in too much social media too much social media which take him off the actual action he wants to take uh he runs a business he has a a, a successful uh furniture um making shop and he uh creates furniture for very very fancy houses uh including uh kitchens and so forth and Doing like engaging in too too much social media takes him off his focusing on his business. So he made a promise to his wife and to me and to uh, my wife and in a car when we were in a car that he will not engage in in any social media, right? Because it really take him off purpose. That's a conscious 
decision to stop doing one thing, like watching YouTube and procrastinating and focusing on what is important for you, right? So uh, making a promise, making it to somebody else to hold you accountable. And the last thing we add to it is actually have a consequence. And the consequence come to kind of help you keep your promises. So a consequence is something we use to deter you from not keeping your promise. A consequence usually is something, uh, is getting you to do something you don't like to do or stopping you from doing something you like to do. So for instance, if you make a, if you like a glass of wine at the end of the day, and you say, if I don't do X, Y, Z, or if I do X, Y, Z, I will, I cannot drink my glass of wine at the end of the day. You will think twice whether you want to keep your promise or not. Because you like that wine at the end of the day. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So the first thing to do is when you actually become aware of a behavior that you want to change is become aware of it create a new behavior, make a promise to somebody who will hold you accountable and create a consequence that if you can't keep your promise, you have to pay your consequence. If you do that in every aspect of that you want to change in your life, the likelihood is that you're going to change it. So that's one way to deal mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. I mean, I was going to, I was going to say, I, I feel like some of what you're talking about right now is, is not only applicable for you know a, a behavioral change when it when it comes to entering into a conversation with uh you know with with our intimate partners or with our business partners or with clients um but also you know in, in terms of being able to uh, almost like being able to address negative inner dialogue you know I, and, and I'm curious yes. because you know we we all have and I, it's interesting right because we all have this echo chamber happening within our within our mind and this inner dialogue that a lot of people have can oftentimes be incredibly negative you know and nobody else is privy to it right nobody is privy to the, yeah. the self-deprecation and, and and sort of verbal abuse that we put ourselves through so yeah. how how do we use this tool that you're talking about in order to rewrite some of the programming and, and coding around our negative inner dialogue excellent question so um, just to talk a little bit about our inner dialogue is the thing that runs us, right? There's nothing, nothing happens to us and we don't do anything that doesn't transfer through our inner dialogue. Our inner dialogue is our only boss. We have no other bosses other than our inner dialogue. We do exactly what our inner dialogue tells us to do. We don't do anything that our inner dialogue doesn't tell us to do. And we do it exactly in the way the inner dialogue tells us it's to kinda, do. So it's kind of... I was going to go say, ahead. it's kind of like the the boss at the very end of the video game, you know, like the final boss that you have to face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's the boss. Okay. The problem with our inner dialogue are several. One, it's mostly negative. Mostly negative. There's a guy named David Hawkins. He wrote a book called Power Versus Force. And David Hawkins mentioned that that on an average, 80% of our inner dialogue is survival. It's designed to get us to survive. It's designed to keep us away from the lion when we drink water in the lake, right? And it, it's, it's designed to protect us. So it's always looking for threats. 
So 80% of every human being's inner dialogue is mostly survival-based and negative. Okay, so only 20% is positive and is 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 designed to get us to succeed and to dream and to take us to uh, to where we want to go. Um, so that's one problem we have, mostly negative. The second part of the, the inner dialogue that we have is it's mostly subconscious. You only hear a very small part of it. So there's a, there's a, a, a professor in, uh, in uh, UVA. His name is uh, Timothy Wilson. Timothy Wilson wrote a book called Strangers to Ourself, one of his books. And uh, in the book, Stranger to Herself, Timothy Wilson says that your brains takes in 11 million points of data every given second. Now, 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 now. But your subconscious can only deal with 40 points of data every second, which means that most of the input you take and most of the decision you make in your life, you can't even hear. You don't even know you're making it, their subconscious automatic decisions, their subconscious inner dialogue going in your head consistently. Now we have a problem. It's in big thing called inner dialogue, right, is running everything we do and is responsible for all the results that we have in our lives, and we have no control of it, Right. So how do you deal with it? And again, it's mostly negative. So how do you deal with that negative in a dialogue, as you asked? Well, the first thing, you need to start hear it. You need to be aware of it. You need to see how it works. You need to see the decision it makes. And if you are not observing yourself and you're not, you don't see yourself in action and you don't understand that every action is, con- is, con- is, is connected directly to a thought you had, Right, and therefore, if you check, if you look at your action, you can you can assume your inner dialogue. In other words, to say it, if you decide to uh, you watch YouTube instead of uh, do your work, or if you uh, talk negatively about a person because you got offended by by them, or if you're upset, or if you're annoyed, or anything like that, right? There's an inner dialogue that actually is consistent with that. And that inner dialogue will take you to take to take certain action and produce certain results. So how do you do it is you first become aware of it. I had a client a long, long time ago who was a very successful, gorgeous, um, great family, great career, PhD, right? And I was working with her and... Uh, I was having her track in inner dialogue, and it really is most of her inner dialogue was criticism. She was really criticizing everybody, and we start think about it, we start talking about it, we looked at it, and we came up to the conclusion that the real why she was criticizing everybody was because she did not believe in herself, and because she did not believe in herself, she had to criticize everybody everybody else so she can survive right so the minute we watched that pattern and we watched what she was saying to herself all the time 
we start creating different pattern of thinking. So once you become aware, right, you then need to alter the inner dialogue. So how do you alter inner dialogue? You actually force yourself to think differently. So what we did with her were, was two things. The first thing we did was she needed to find something cute about everybody she interacted with, right? So everyone she interacted with, instead of criticism, she's going to find something cute about them. And if, and sometimes even acknowledge that with them, if, if it was, if was the relationship was appropriate. So that we did that first. So, so by doing that, every interaction, her first, coming into the interaction, her first thing was like, I need to find something cute about them. And if you continuously, continuously, continuously say that to, to yourself, you start finding th- something cute about everybody you're interacting with. And you shift the pattern. The second thing we did, because again, she was not trust, she, she did not believe in herself. We, she had to send me a text every day by the end of the day with five things that, that five um, uh, proofs, right? And evidence that she was awesome. And she did it for a year. So by doing those two things, we totally deprogrammed her. We programmed her to now every interaction with every human being, she always looked for something cute because she did it so, for so long that now it become, became a habit. And she now really, really knows that she's awesome because she had to, for, for a year, she had to send me a text every day with five uh, evidence that she was awesome. Totally deprogrammed her, totally changed her life. Make yeah, sense? no, I, I like it because I think what you're talking about in, in a lot of ways is is really how we would go about rewriting code within, you know, a, a broken down program or a broken down computer is that you, you'd actually have to go in and, and sort of restructure everything. And by actually refocusing someone's attention and awareness over and over and over and over and over again, it starts to create this compounding effect where suddenly that's where that's where not only the conscious mind goes to, but from what I'm hearing from you, that's where the unconscious mind actually uh, will eventually start to automatically go. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it, so you you. No, I was going to say it's it's interesting because I would imagine that at first the 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 caveat because I've gone I've gone through this myself probably about a decade ago but the the caveat is that the initial force that it takes is usually the challenge you know like that initial force of of getting a plane off the ground is usually the 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 great or or a rocket off the ground is usually the most force that it takes in order to get up into the atmosphere and and reprogramming and shifting our focus and our awareness uh, and, and shifting our mindset, it's usually the very beginning that takes the most effort and energy. Is that, would you agree with that? Or has that, has that been different in your experience? No, no, absolutely. The, the, the hardest part is really the, to, to actually one is to see the pattern, to understand that they're just patterns and they're not real. Okay. And to then be brave enough and it, I mean brave enough, brave enough to go change them and trust that the new patterns are going to be better for you. Because, listen, you know, most of us are pretty successful in our lives, right? Not all of us, 
but most of us are pretty successful in our lives. We, we like our patterns, we trust our patterns, and even our, if our patterns are not as good as we, 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 we like them to be, we like to, we, we can survive. Yeah, we, them, we know right? them. We learn how to survive. <laughs> yeah. We know them and we can survive. We know we're not going to die, right? Um, if you have somebody, for instance, that's what I said in the beginning, it's like, what do you mean? I need to stop being intentional. I need to become loving. I'm not going to sell anything, right? That's freaking scary. Like, like leading with your heart versus leading with your head. Although your head really is, is smart and successful and you made a lot of money with it, changing that pattern, it's scary. And as people, we don't want to deal with that. We'd rather deal with the animal we know than the animal we don't. Yeah, even even if that animal is, you know, biting at our ankles <laughs> and and causing Absolutely. us and causing us a lot of pain. And yeah, you know, I, I really appreciate what you're saying because I think one of the biggest challenges that most people face when it comes to to change is not that they don't know what the problem is. You know, the the real issue is that and, and it's not even that they don't know what to do about the problem. It's just that they are so comfortable with the existence and the way of being and the thought patterns and the sort of internal abuse that they have experienced within themselves, or it maybe even was, it was even caused by external abuse when they were growing up. But they're so used to that internal way of being that shifting it seems terrifying, right? A friend of mine, a friend of mine, uh, Mark Groves, always says, you know, you always know what you stand to lose, but you never know what you stand to gain. And I feel like part of this process that you're that you're talking about here really comes down to embracing the unknown in some way, shape, or form, and starting to starting to really um, starting to really like love that that unknown unpredictability. Is that is that part of the equation? It is part of the equation, Connor. Uh, the 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 key, you know, what are are some of the main premises is that we believe that happy people produce happy results. Okay. And I may, if, if you get an individual to be happy, proud and inspired of who they are, how they show up in every aspect of their life, their results are going to increase automatically. Right. And, uh, and they're going to, and, and, and there's a, there's a, there's a process that get people to become happy proud and inspired and it starts with really having a truth truth and 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 a hard conversation with yourself about what are my real dreams and people don't want to deal with that first because um at some point uh, you know at, at at age 13 or 15 you stop getting connected to your dreams. You don't believe you can have your dreams anymore. And you become, you start becoming realistic, right? And somewhere at the age of 25 or def definitely by the age of 35, you are no longer connected to any of your dreams in any substantial way, okay? And you're just living the life that you, you're reacting to life. And the, the truth in the matter is that we don't deal with anything else in that matter, right? So if I go, if I leave my house and get in my car, I know where I'm going. I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly how I'm going to get there. 
other than if I listen to Waze and Waze tell me where to get there, but I know exactly what kind of roads I'm going to take there. In our lives, we walk into our lives every day not knowing what our dreams are, not knowing how we're going to get there, and not knowing what we're going to do about that, which is a little crazy, right? So you, t- you have to take a leap of faith, but the first leap of faith you have to take is to really identify and tell the truth about your dreams. As people, we are afraid to tell the truth about our dreams because we don't want to get disappointed. But again, the only way to achieve those dreams, the only way to achieve those results is actually to tell the truth about them. And if you start telling the truth about your dreams, right, and you start understanding that it's all up to you. We have a book called Maybe It's You, and you can sketch away the maybe. It's you all the time. (laughs) And if you understand that it's all up to you and that you really can cause and produce any dream and any result you want in your life if you set your mind to it and if you are willing to doubt the way you do things now in order to get to the what you want, you will get there. That's the, the main work that I do with, with people and with organization is to questions, to question their structures, the emotional, physical, and spiritual structures, and to question their theories and their beliefs. I had a session today with, a, with one of my clients, and it was you know, a very successful uh, executive in a very, very fast-growing company. And one of the things that we were doing is we were working on his, um, he's very successful in business, but love life is not, not that much. And mostly is because he's, his theories about himself and about l- himself with love and with dating are keeping him off doing certain, the things that he needs to do. And he was even arguing with me and I, and I had him talk, and by having him talk, I showed him all these theories about a negative inner dialogue about himself and dating. And he, at some point, he started laughing, and he said, I got it. I got it. I have theories about me and not being good at that, and here we go. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at that. I have theories about me being good in business, and here we go. I'm extremely successful. Right. So the key is really to connect somebody to their real dreams and then to show them how they get in their own way from producing those dreams and how they letting themselves be in the wrong games. Right. The, you know, you know, we talked a little bit before and, you know, what one of our, 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 our fundamental beliefs is as human beings, we always win. We always win in the games we're playing. Always win. The problem is we are not very clear about the games we're playing. But if you take a look at the results, you can actually understand the game. So if, I'm, if I am not successful in business, I am playing a game to prove that, I'm not, that I cannot be successful in business. If I'm not successful in love, then I'm playing a game to prove that I'm not successful in love. If I am successful in love, then I'm playing a game to show that I am successful in love. As human beings, we subconsciously and consciously 
create games and we win at them. And sometimes those are the wrong games. Yeah. But we need to understand those and we need to understand what's our dreams in order to create the right games. Uh, I I love it. You know, I, I think you're you're really I mean, first off, I love the name of your book. <laughs> maybe it's you with the maybe scratched out. It's you, you know, like it's just, it, it's so true. And I think the, the challenge is it, it's both, uh, you know, it's a, it's a catch 22. And I think that's the catch 22 of leadership really in an essence, you sort of summarize the essence or the paradox of leadership is that we, when we really do realize that it's us, then we're mm-hmm. we're both responsible for the change and we're responsible for the current results that we're getting. And yeah. and so, you know, I'm curious as to how much of these pieces, I'm sure that some of these pieces play into, you know, the the personal integrity and accountability model that you have. Yeah. And I, I want to touch on it because I think it's so important. Like most people are looking for a deeper sense of personal integrity and accountability. And so I would I would love for you to just maybe in a in a brief sense um define for the listeners what the personal integrity and accountability model is okay awesome so uh the personal accountability and integrity model is a model we've created to actually demonstrate this entire method uh, so we started with you know happy people produce happy results and what makes people happy proud and inspired is connection to their dreams as people the way we dream and the way we articulate dreams is in the form of results and we there's a lot, a lot of results that as individuals, we are looking to produce. As individuals, we're not even good at articulating results, but we think from a result perspective, right? So a lot of, a lot of people, when we do this work with them, actually state results in a form of action, which is not the right way to do it. Results are results, you know, at the end of the result, if there's a result, you can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it. They're specific and measurable. And they, and they end. They don't end in another. So as people, we think we are driven by results. The only thing, the only thing that produces that result are the actions we take. The actions we take is basically you can further define it as what we do, what we don't do, and the most important aspect of action is how we take that action, not what we do and what we don't do, but how we do it. Because I can be, I can, I can have a conversation with you lovingly, uh, impatiently, aggressively. Each one of them, even if I use the same words, will produce a different result. As human beings, we are not very clear on how we do things. Okay, so we're driven by results that the ultimate part the what leads to the result are the actions we take and the actions we take are hard to change because our actions the actions we take are our results too they're results of our inner dialogue we spoke about inner dialogue before our inner dialogue is our only boss it tells us what to do what's not to do and what and how to do it which leads us to all the results that we have another way to say it Every result we have is 100% consistent with our inner dialogue. Again, our inner dialogue is mostly negative, which means that even at 20% or 25% of positive inner dialogue, we are still very effective. So if we actually shift the inner dialogue by a small percentage, we're going to increase our success by a lot, right? And our inner dialogue is mostly subconscious. We mostly don't understand that. 
So if we want to change our action, we have to change our inner dialogue. But how do you do it if it's mostly subconscious? Well, our inner dialogue is a result of three main sources. Our traits that we get from our lineage, from our parents, our beliefs and theories that we get from our experiences. Our traits, beliefs, and theories work together in harmony to impact all of our inner dialogue, all our actions, and all our results. So every result you have is tied to a belief, a theory, or a trait you have that causes that model to move forward, right? If you take the traits, your belief, and theories, and you combine it with your inner dialogue, which is basically the media by which those three show up, you call, we call that your personal reality. Another way to say it, what's real for you. Another way to say it is what you, how you see the world and how you interpret everything. Or another way to say it is your operating system. Your operating system impacts your behavior, impacts your results. If you want to change results, you have to change your operating system. You have to shift your reality. So the model is that we that traits, beliefs, and theories impact your inner dialogue, impact your actions, impact your results, and therefore you need to work on who you are, your traits, your beliefs, and theories, understand those, understand your dreams, and start matching your reality with your dreams. I like it. That's our model. I like it. I mean, it's it's such a such a good such a good model and, and and very powerful when it comes to understanding you know the human experience and our psyche and 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 the integration of you know some of these components of our inner world and you know i i always say that you can't change your inner landscape without the outer results changing too it's just yeah. an impossibility yeah. and i think the, i think the cool thing is that what you're what you're really saying resonates because I think that in some ways, you know, in in sort of more religious spheres, um, you know, this might be called karma, right? Or, uh, you know, I believe that karma is is people attracting what they believe they deserve. And when, when we don't believe that we deserve something or or we do believe that we deserve something negative, we invariably attract those things because that's where all of our focus, energy, attention goes to. And like you said, 95% of that, that, that attention is, is an unconscious happening. And so getting yeah. clear on some of these things is, is incredibly important. So, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely amazing. So um, just because we're almost you know, wrapping up here for time, is there anything else that, that the listeners should know, specifically when it comes actually to, to accountability, when it comes to creating shifts and, and change within their, within their inner, inner and outer world? I would say the whole fact that you have to consider that it's you all the time. It really is, right? And although it's not very empowering at times, it's extremely empowering at other times. Because if you know it's you, you can do everything you want about it. If you don't believe that it's you, if you become a victim or what we call it a weather reporter, you know, we have no power over it, then there's nothing you can do. You know, if it's them, in order for to change something, they need to change. And you have no say about it. If it's always me, then I can do anything I want. It's always me. 
Um, it's funny, you know, one, uh, one of the best conversations I've ever created in my life, I created it for, for my, with me and my family, and then I took it to my tribe, and then I took it, I'm now teaching it to my clients, which called, it's a conversation called What Sucks About Me. Um, after Hurricane Sandy, we sat in a living room. We didn't have, we didn't have uh, electricity yet, and the fireplace was working, and I, we couldn't watch TV. We couldn't go on a computer. And I said to my, my family, I, I, I have an idea. Let's talk about what sucks about me. And I really created that conversation. I went first. My wife went second. My son went third. My daughter went fourth. And the conversation about really like how am I accountable for the results I don't want in my life? How am I accountable for my own behavior? It's a, an amazing conversation in a, cause, 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 you know, you do things that don't work. And the more you know about them and the more you can be accountable for them, the more you can shift them. And if you use other people to help you with that, you're going to be the best leader in the world. I love it. I love it. I think that's the great, uh, a really great place to end. And, um, you know, it's, it really showcases uh, humble leadership, but also the ability to grow and learn. And I think leaders are not exempt from, you know, everything else in life, which is all about expansion and, and growth and developing ourselves. So listen, Cher, I really appreciate your time today. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Uh, thank you for having me and, uh, and, and having a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah. And for everybody that wants to go uh, check Sheer out and his organization, uh, you can go to www.handlegroup.com. Uh, all the information is there. The link is in the show notes as well. Uh, don't forget to man it forward, share this podcast episode with just one person. goes a long way to getting us into the ears and uh, onto the phones of other people. Uh, leave us a rating and review. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. Mm-hmm.